Hi, and welcome back to I Love You. I know. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and Star Wars, but it's mostly about Star Wars. Kevin, we were going to talk about a place we wanted to go, Galaxy's Edge, tonight, but why did we decide not to? Well, we started watching a documentary about it, and we got so excited to go and then realized we couldn't go that we decided that it was not worth bumming everybody out by talking about such a cool place that nobody can go to. Exactly. However, that notwithstanding, I still cannot wait to go. The documentary, aka two-hour-long video ad, um, seemed really awesome, and we'll have to talk about it at a later date when all of us can make our actual plans to go. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to go. I still hope that they build the hotel that they promised, which was not part of the documentary, but I, um, yeah, it's, it looks awesome, and I'd really love to go, uh, but that is not in the cards for the near future, so... We're going to talk about something way cheerier than an amazing Star Wars land at Disney World, right? Sure. The end of democracy? Wow. I went there. You did. I told you. I mean, you you didn't think I was going to, but here we are. No, and here we are on election night eve, and you're bringing that up. I'm I don't I'm knocking on all sorts of things here because I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. No, actually, we are going to talk about Palpatine or uh, Darth Sidious. Yes, which. I mean, is definitely how Republic Democracy died. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So uh, to give some backstory, which is really what we're going to talk about tonight, um, we kind of divided Palpatine's life and adventures up into uh, two, two segments here. And, and perhaps we could do more than that if we really wanted to get into the weeds, which we could at a later date. But we're going to talk about how he was selected to become a Sith Lord, how he rose to power, and, and kind of finish up with him going from a senator from Naboo to Supreme, uh, Supreme Chancellor. So Yeah. And, you know, spoiler alert, or for any of the, the few of our listeners who don't make the connection between Palpatine and Darth Sidious, but this is also known as the Emperor. Oh, yeah. 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 So this is the, this is the life story or the first half of the life story of, of Emperor Palpatine. Yep. Yep. So uh, let's start. Who, who was his master? So his master was uh, a Sith Lord known as Darth Plagueis, or as he called him, Darth Plagueis the Wise. Um, and I think we'll get into whether or not that moniker holds up uh, in a little bit. Um, but Darth Plagueis was the apprentice of another Sith Lord, Darth Tenebris. Um, and kind of prior to Darth Tenebris, the Sith line is more or less lost until it goes all the way back into closer to Darth Bane, which is about a thousand years prior to uh, the rise of Tenebris and Plagueis. So these are sort of the most recent Sith Lords um, that that anybody knows about with a big gap in the Sith history between uh, really uh, who was the uh, this the the Darth Bane, uh, Darth, Dar Zana. Darth Zana, and then sort of after that, the line is lost for a little while. Right, and, and certainly by design, the Sith were supposed to stay in the shadows. They were supposed to plan their grand rise to power in a way that would be unknowing to everyone around them and, and almost assume it in a legal fashion. Yeah, and, and I mean, ultimately, that's more or less what they do. But but yeah, that was that was the plan of the rule of two, was to hide out, amass power, amass influence until... There was a time when when, you know, basically the Jedi could be overthrown and the dark side could take over without uh, really without a contest. And and that is, you know, that was the plan. And it was never really known to the Sith when that opportunity would arise. So they were just always 
always building power, always building wealth, always building up, you know, their small little corners of the world until the opportunity arose and the opportunity arises here. Right. And Plagueis, or his name was Hego Damask, as we also know him, um, he, he's got money. Yeah, he's, um, he is immune, which are uh, the species that run the international banking clan. Um, if, if you picture them from, there are a couple immunes that you see in uh, the prequel trilogy. They're sort of very tall, lanky, have really, really tall heads, kind of lumpy. And munes uh, have a longer life than humans. So Hego Damask at the time, even that he meets Palpatine as a, as a young man, um, is already, I think, over 100 standard years old. Uh, so he has a very long life. And his personal obsession was with extending that life. Right. And, and that's also one of the reasons why we don't know too much about the Sith prior to where we're picking up here. It is because typically Sith are non-human species that have a longer lifespan. So, you know, Damask makes a lot of sense. He's kind of a good fit. He's got money. He's able to use his holding company for influence over others. He's strong with the dark side of the force, and he's going to live a long time. That's right. And his master, Darth Tenebris, is a Bith, which... uh the the probably most famous depiction of Bith are in the uh, the cantina at Mos Eisley. Uh, there are three dudes with bulbous round heads playing what look like clarinets. Those three are Bith. Um, Darth Tenebris is one of them, and it's another non-human, um, highly intelligent, long-lived species uh, known for you know kind of scheming and plotting, which align pretty well with being Sith. Right, right. So here we go. We, we've got uh, Plagueis. He's overthrown uh, Tenebris. He is starting to think to himself that the way to move forward in this is not just about the rule of two, but in that he's got to have the right apprentice. And so he actually takes his time. Yeah, he um, ultimately Tenebris had another apprentice that he abandoned. And after Tenebris's death, Plagueis encounters that second apprentice kills him and then finds on his ship a database of potential apprentices that, um, and I can't remember that guy's name. He doesn't matter. He didn't last very long. He died. Um, but he basically finds a list of possible apprentices that Tenebris and that other apprentice were going after. And he starts visiting them one by one and observing them and mostly finding them unworthy and killing them or getting them killed in a variety of ways to avoid having any potential dark side rivals until he meets uh, a young man named Shiv Palpatine on Naboo. Right. And so when we meet Palpatine, he's probably somewhere between the ages of 18 and 20-ish. He's a young man going to college. Uh, we're led to believe he's fairly attractive. He comes from a good family. He's very smart. He's going to get top marks at university. He's a good dude, or, or so we think. Um, but his family has always been a little bit on the outs with him, and we don't entirely know why. Yeah, and, and I, you know, it's, a lot of it appears to be because he's a very ambitious person, and his family, while they are wealthy and politically astute, they don't take advantage of their position very well, and he considers that to be a huge failure. Completely agree. So his family should be easily set up for success on Naboo politically, but there's infighting. They just, I mean, politics is a nuance and a fine art, and his family is just basically falling down on the job here. 
And that kind of tracks with Palpatine's experience with his parents, his mom and dad and him. They, they don't really get along, and there's certainly a father-son rivalry, very cats-in-the-cradle kind of situation going on. And, and so what we learn um, is that Palpatine is willing to sell out his family for power. That's right. And keep in mind that Naboo culture requires a, f a few things of people that um, are a little bit different than what we're used to. One is everybody from ages around 12 to 20 are required to do some sort of civil service. And you can choose the form of that service, whether it's in, you know, security or, um, you know, public works or whatever. And politics or uh, administration is one of those paths. And so naturally, Palpatine uh, chose that path as part of being a, a member of a political family, but also because it's it's a path to power. And so he was politically active from a very young age, similar to uh, young Ms. Amidala that, that we meet later. And that is where, you know, he sort of encounters her and basically helps set up her family to um, become the elected royal family. It's not her election that he that he manages to manipulate, but it's her, I believe her father's who ultimately then helps her get elected later. But he, he helps her family rise and defeat his own family in political uh, elections. Exactly. And kind of the nail in the coffin here is uh, when Plagueis arrives on Naboo and he meets House Palpatine, he just gets wave after wave of dark side power rolling off of uh, Palpatine. And he doesn't feel it from the father and the mother. And it turns out that's because they've been concealing the truth of Palpatine's parentage and he actually and this is where i am getting a little confused i want to say um it was a different mom i don't remember no 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 it was, no, a, it different was a different dad. father it yeah was a different it was because his mother is his mother and his father was was yeah was somebody you know he was actually fathered by uh some sort of dark side person right and, and there was this whole like scandal behind it and so as a result they were um, suppressing Palpatine's abilities in some way. And when Palpatine found out that his parents were withholding his ability to be powerful, because his whole childhood, he had this extra ability and he used it. He just didn't know exactly how and why he was using it, but he did. And he would make it so that things always worked out for him. And then it was an easy decision for him to turn on his family and play the political game uh, to help Plagueis as soon as Plagueis said, you know what, you're powerful and you're strong. Want me to help you be more powerful and stronger? He said yes. Yeah. And and one of, in a very kind of, uh, it's, it's a very Voldemort sort of vibe in a way that, you know, he grew up with these extra powers, didn't understand. And I, if I remember the way the story goes is, you know, one of Palpatine's powers in the Force is the ability to manipulate other people's minds. Um, he has a pretty good control of other minds. And I believe that that ultimately, after he politically overthrows his family, he sneaks onto a shuttle that they're on and murders them in some fairly brutal ways, including I believe he forces his mother to to like kill herself or something by manipulating her mind with the force. I, I believe that's correct. Yeah. Um, and so just like all in, he he decides he's not just going to be a little bit evil. He's going to go all in evil here. So, you know, respect to the commitment, but also concern. 
Yeah, um, yeah, N rarely a good sign when you overthrow your family and then murder them. But you know, he he plays it off, and and he and um, he and Plagueis manage to hide the evidence and have it destroyed, and makes it look like you know his family just got lost in an errant hyperspace jump, and so now. He's unencumbered from his family. He's politically active. He helped um, the, the Amidala family rise. And he ultimately gets himself um, elected to the Galactic Senate as the representative of Naboo, kind of after he finishes college. But through through college, like he's it's he's generally quiet. He's just quietly learning the dark side of the force and building up his portfolio. And and you know, in a pattern that we start to see over and over in his life, he goes through these periods where he just sort of plays the 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 face of just a, a randomly good politician and that's you know all anybody sees of him while meanwhile on the side he's doing a whole bunch of other stuff right and he kills his family and he goes back to school it's like what did you do on summer vacation huh you know uh overthrew my family slaughtered them instilled a different family into power on naboo then i uh i had to read this book and this book and work on my term paper to go back to school. So he, he basically, he fits in his Sith training. And you can tell that he wants to do more Sith training. And Plagueis keeps telling him to be patient, be patient. And he's holding back from him. And he's not telling him what the grand plan is. And eventually he confesses what, what the plan ultimately is. Because we know Plagueis is obsessed with living forever. And so he, he needs his apprentice to help him work on what that's going to look like. But he needs uh, Palpatine to be that forward-looking face. He needs to be instilled in a position to make it happen. Because we haven't seen any Sith be in the, the limelight before because they haven't been since before Bane. That's right. And and this is really probably Plagueis' big failure is he got he got distracted and when you have somebody like Palpatine nipping at your heels, you can't be doing two different projects at once. And Plagueis is, is obsessed with unlocking the ability to live forever, the ability to extend life. And the way that he does that, and this ends up being important in, in the story of Palpatine and the broader story around Palpatine, is that um, Plagueis does a whole bunch of experiments on living things with a focus on manipulating the midi-chlorians. And the, this sounds like it's going to be important in the future. <laughs> yes. Um, and and what he what he does and and, you know, is it's pretty brutal. But what he basically does is he captures a variety of of animals uh, from non sentient all the way up through sentient beings and force sensitive beings and brings them to the brink of death and then tries to use the dark side to manipulate the midi chlorians to restore create or or in other ways extend the life of of animals that are on the verge of death and he starts to get reasonably good at it um but finds out that ultimately it, it doesn't work the way that he wants it to he wants to be able to use the force to manipulate midichlorians to at will create new life and ultimately is unable to do it and has to find a different path to immortality which he succeeds at but in the process, there's a little bit of a surprise for him. Right, right. And so he's so focused on that. He doesn't realize that the ambition of Palpatine have, has totally shifted. It's not just about being, you know, the apprentice. It's about, wow, I'm surrounded by all of these people who I can easily manipulate now that I've learned how to use the force. And I've got this great career, and, and you guys probably remember me alluding to Palpatine being the ladies' man a few episodes ago. Um, 
he's he's in some social circles. He seems to be a regular at some uh, quote unquote gentlemen's club. People know him. He he's always there when there are deals being made. He's always at that booth in the corner watching it happen. He knows where all the bodies are buried, even if he didn't bury them. That's right. And so um, so you know. Plagueis is, is mostly focused on that and is not focused on the grand plan of the Sith. While Palpatine, while he finds the notion of living forever and extending life to be interesting, it's really not his overriding, um, his driver, right? He basically is counting on Plagueis to figure that out and expecting that one day he'll figure it out too. But he's much more focused on increasing his power personally and politically. Um, in the meantime, Plagueis discovers the idea of essence transfer as the as the real way to live forever and probably accidentally created Anakin in the process. Right. And as I suggested earlier, it's also maybe possible, and, and this is very far-fetched, although I, I do believe that the creation of Anakin is fairly likely from Plagueis's uh, evil scientist adventures, but... What if maybe he made Baby Yoda? Yeah, the timeline adds up, right? And Baby Yoda is very strong with the Force, probably has a high midi-chlorian count. We have no other evidence of how Yodas reproduce. So yeah, the the way the story goes is basically as 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 a result of one of his experiments, the Force fulfills the Chosen One prophecy where the Chosen One is intended to bring balance to the Force, and Plagueis is decidedly trying to take it out of balance by interfering with the natural cycle of life. As Yoda has pointed out many times in his lessons with Luke and others, death is a natural part of life. And trying to cheat death, as Palpatine says multiple times, uh, is an ability that some would consider to be unnatural. And the Force fights back. The Force creates the very thing that could stop the Sith, in the form of Anakin Skywalker. Ironically, turns are, you know, kind of turns out not to work as well as maybe the Force intended, but, you know, whatever. Um, is it possible that two of those came to be? Maybe, right? You know, uh, he's a mad scientist enough that he probably did the same experiment twice without knowing what the result was. So could Baby Yoda be a creation of uh, Darth Plagueis' experiments? Yeah. Sure. Quite possibly. Quite Who possibly. knows? Who well, knows? We'll, we'll find out. And, yeah. and, and so we've got these... Mad scientist experiments going on. We got this ambitious politician, but we still do have this holding company of Damask Holdings with all this money. And so the banking clan is kind of like, we haven't seen Damask in a while. And Palpatine is trying to keep a little bit of a distance there because he's also got to be, quote unquote, on the up and up uh, from the senatorial perspective. But, you know, really, it, it seems like Damask Holdings keeps exerting more influence even though neither Palpatine nor uh, Damascus is really doing much. It's just the, the mystery surrounding it. And so then additional senators and other politicians keep getting swirled into the corruption as, as more and more money is involved. That's right. But that basically ends up with the Sith having control of a vast, vast fortune. Um, meanwhile, um, Palpatine starts getting a little bit more ambitious on the Sith front and starts to think about getting an apprentice of his own um, for his grand plan. And this is where I think this is this is the point, And this is probably about, you know, um, we're talking here probably about 20 years before the events um, in episode one um, and the, you know, the issues on Naboo. 
is, you know, is Palpatine is starting to think about, you know, what would the grand plan look like without Plagueis? What would the grand plan look like with Plagueis? Plagueis, I think at this point is assuming that he's always going to be the guy working in the background and that Palpatine's going to be the public face. But Palpatine goes to secure his first apprentice and he discovers the uh, Night Sisters and the Witches of Dathomir. And he visits Dathomir with the idea of making Mother Talzin his apprentice, combining the magics of the Night Sisters with uh, the knowledge of the Sith to create some sort of, you know, unholy super duper Sith magician. And instead of doing that, because that's not really Mother Talzin's speed, she offers up her firstborn son, um, a, Zabra- a Zabrak that we will know only as Maul. Your favorite. He is my favorite. You actually got me, Amanda got me a Build-A-Bear Darth Maul, or I guess, well, it was Darth Maul at the time in this character journey, but a -A Build-A-Bear Maul for my upcoming birthday. Happy birthday, Kevin. Thank you, buddy. Um, so, so we've got Maul who, you know, the way that you have a secret baby apprentice um is you kind of have to drop him off and not be overly fatherly so maul doesn't have a great upbringing um he he's kind of left to the mean streets to learn how to survive and palpatine rations this out thinking um well you know what if he doesn't die then i picked a great guy like he's strong with the force he he's gonna be a great warrior i'll occasionally be a deadbeat dad and stop by and see him and if he turns out to one not kill me and two to not die on his own then i got a great apprentice here yeah and this is basically you know when you look at the progression of his apprentices you have sort of this guy is just the brutal fighter um later dooku is the more you know sort of academic um uh, aristocratic version and then Anakin is really the representative of the the balance between the two and so he basically is looking for someone who's not going to be ambitious but that he could send out as an enforcer against the Jedi because he foresees that that's going to be valuable and you know it ultimately is right and that's a good segue into kind of the next phase of things is we've got the Jedi Council and so they are unaware of really the developments going on with the Sith. They've been, you know, blinded by, you know, just paying attention, looking oddly looking inward. They're they're not really aware of what's going on with the balance or lack thereof. And, And so ultimately, there are several Jedi on the council that are kind of in flux. And between the actions of the senators and the Galactic Republic, and just the politicians in general, we start also seeing Palpatine create uh, his, he creates mistrust amongst the other politicians. He has some assassinations. He uh, pits one politician after another against each other. And he also kind of starts engaging in a lot of uh, very well done acts of cronyism um, to pick some people to be around him who are going to be loyal to him, not to whatever planet sent them or to the republic itself and so we start seeing some of those meetings being set up with jedi as well and so we see dooku we see qui-gon jinn and we also see sifo-dia yeah and you have to remember that at this time just as we have sort of lost track of you know who the sith are the jedi believe that after bane fell that the the Sith line ended. They really don't acknowledge that the Sith line currently exists. And so they are not on the lookout for dark side manipulators or the Sith. Um, you know, so so yeah, he starts to to meet 
with uh, Dooku, who of course is the master of Qui-Gon Jinn, and starts to edge into his thoughts the idea that maybe the Republic and the Jedi Council are on the wrong path. And Dooku buys into this to some extent. Qui-Gon does not as much, though Qui-Gon starts to question the Council and has a little rebellious streak. Um, Dooku takes it obviously much more seriously. And well prior to the time that he you know, becomes a Sith Lord himself, he leaves the Jedi Order and goes back to his um, ancestral home on Serrano to rule as as Count Dooku. So the Count is not a is not some sort of made up Sith-ish title. That's actually his like ancestral title, and he is sort of the first wedge um, between you know sort of people on the Council and the Jedi and and the dark side. Um, and you know there there's I I forgot how many there were. I want to say there's seven or fourteen. Um, Jedi who are enshrined in the main library in the temple on Coruscant as the lost ones. Various Jedi who have left the order over time for various reasons and Dooku becomes sort of the latest in that in that group and is always sort of reminded, the Jedi remind themselves of their failure to keep everybody in line um, by that. And he, and so that happened sort of in the, in sort of the middle of this time period, long before he becomes the leader of the separatists or, or a Sith Lord. Right. So we are roughly at this point, I don't know, maybe 10 years before, or two years before we meet Anakin. Yeah. Something like that, because things really, really like us, you know, I said before, um, there's a period where where um, Palpatine is just sort of quietly running his life as a senator. He's building up his network. He's building friendships with Valorum, who's the current chancellor. He's getting everything ready for his sort of big coming out uh, event and the beginning of the, the grand plan. And it really comes to it all sort of comes to a head um, shortly before the incident on, on Naboo with sifo So sifo is a Jedi master who has the power of long-term foresight, similar to Yoda, but even further into the future. And what sifo sees when he's meditating over and over again is that there will be a war between the Galactic Republic and some other faction that he can't see um, over something that he doesn't understand. And he goes to the council and to the Senate and says, the Republic needs an army to be able to defend itself in this war. And they all basically come back to him with, well, if we have no army, there can be no war. And he is so convinced that the force is giving him guidance. He secretly goes to Kamino and commissions the creation of the clone army. And he lies to the Kaminoans and tells them that he has the authorization of the Jedi Council and the Senate. Um, but really, he's he's freelancing here and having this uh, this army built for this war that he knows is coming, which is correct, um, not really realizing that his own actions are what create the war. Right. And we also know that Palpatine's been aware of Dooku's misgivings of the Jedi Council, and he's aware of sifo abilities. And so there's a possibility that perhaps these visions were implanted into sifo too. Yeah, and that's not that's not beyond either Palpatine's uh, really capabilities nor his interests, right? So yeah, he may have easily it's easily possible that he manipulated Sifo-Dyas in this way. It's not really clear whether he did or not, but yeah, it sounds it sounds pretty reasonable that he might have. Um, but you know, ostensibly, they uh, the Sith are tipped off to what Sifo-Dyas is up to when um, 
Chancellor Valorum sends Sifo-Dyas on a mission to visit the Pikes, which are one of the crime syndicates. And of course, being, you know, large scale, uh, you know, the Damask Holding Company has both legitimate and less legitimate uh, business entanglements and the Sith keeping a pulse on sort of all of the galaxy when something happens that is an intersection between a secret mission from a representative of the Chancellor and one of the crime families, they find out about it. They uh, use that opportunity to murder sifo and capture his assistant, Silman. And this is all back revealed to us during a Clone Wars episode um, toward the end of the show. And uh, and then they go back to Camino and they start paying on behalf of the Galactic Republic. Right. So this was a question I had many episodes ago is who's been paying the Cam- Caminoans? Cam- Caminoans? 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 San Diegans? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I'm but, not sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll never decide on this officially. But no. who's ever been paying uh, the cloners on Camino and, and trying to figure out, you know, it's entirely possible that the Galactic Republic Senate is just like so corrupt that they don't know where the money's going and how it's coming in or anything like that. But far more likely is that to get the ball rolling here with Camino is Damask Holdings has all this money. And so, you know, acquiring influence and money is important for the Sith because that allows them to begin creating this massive army of the Republic. That's right. And and you've got to remember that not, you know, this is something that sort of glossed over in the movies, but not only um, is Camino involved in this, but also uh, various different space yards, building ships. Uh, building tanks, all those kind of things. And all of that is funded without the Republic or the Jedi Council really knowing about it. So my assumption is that this is all paid for by the various subsidiaries and and complex business holdings of um, Damask and Palpatine uh, to to sort of set this whole thing up on the, on the down low. But whatever it is, you know, it, it goes back to the fact that Camino had... As far as they know, they legitimately had a Jedi Master come to them and order this army under false pretenses. And then the order was continued under the voice of uh, now dead sifo Dias, And um, and all of this was done without the knowledge of the of the Republic and, you know, is built over the next, you know, 10 to 12 years. Um, while and and so what this really puts in perspective is that Plagueis and Palpatine really had this whole idea and this whole thing mapped out from the point that they engaged the incident on Naboo. They knew that there was a probably a ten year period before the actual war started, and they were prepared for that, right? Because the cloning would take that long, and that was about the time that they engaged in this. So this was a like this was a whole long con. Like they had this whole thing figured out, and was they were running it for a long time. Um, but they, for some reason, decided at that point that it was also time to begin executing the plan. Exactly. So there are some of us that play checkers. Some of us, like myself, might occasionally play Connect Four instead. There are some people that play chess. And the game these guys played, totally different. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, right. So that, that basically brings us to this elaborate scheme on Naboo. We've also kind of separated out in the background here. The banking clan has lost some trust from uh, the Republic, and that's been kind of courtesy of Damask Holdings being a little bit on the flaky side that the banking clan thinks that maybe they need to look out for themselves. So, you know, we've got, um, you know, we've got a big pot of money sitting out there as well that's not controlled by the Sith, but could maybe be controlled by the Separatists down the road. And and then we also... um, 
remember our power hungry uh greedy friends from the trade federation that uh they, they would like some money they would like some power and influence they're clearly not sith or that smart so they're easily influenced by the sith and, and that's when uh palpatine approaches the trade federation per plagueis's instructions and says you got to create a blockade on Naboo. That's right. And and this is all just a, a again a very well thought out long con for uh them to get uh Palpatine uh into the chancellor seat on the Galactic Senate, right? So they set up they work with the Trade Federation under the guise of of Darth Sidious, which evidently not enough people know about the Sith to know that a guy named uh who goes by the title of Darth is probably not a dude you want to make a deal with, but that's okay. They work together with Lord Sidious to um, to ch- and and you know what they promise is basically if you do this we'll get you better contracts and we'll get you more control of systems and you know in the book that we're using as the source material for a lot of this apparently Naboo had some sort of natural resource it was some sort of energy plasma that I didn't really understand but they had a natural resource that they were not really interested in selling that the Trade Federation wanted access to. And basically, they were promised that if you blockade them and you help us get a treaty with the planet, you'll be the exclusive miner of of whatever this natural resource is. Um, and so, you know, you'll you'll have all of the fortune of that and you'll control these trade routes. So the Trade Federation's in and they obviously they run through the whole episode one plan that ultimately results in um, Palpatine getting elected to be chancellor of the Galactic Senate um, along the at the same time. Uh, this is also where Darth Maul is revealed, and that causes a problem. Right, because if you remember, there's the rule of two, only supposed to be two, and it's the natural order of the rule of two that the apprentice will eventually challenge the master, with in theory, if you want to continue the succession and you haven't figured out essence transfer, that the apprentice would kill the master and then bring a new apprentice on so what's supposed to happen is Sidious or you know Palpatine supposed to kill Plagueis and then he brings on Maul but what normally happens during the rule of two is the master is like oh no wait I'm not ready to give up power yet and so um I I think uh Palpatine slash Sidious realizes that this is a challenge because he doesn't believe that he can beat Plagueis in battle yeah, and I think this is this is one of like o- almost the more um, the most Palpatine things of all, right? The the way that the Bane set up the rule of two was that the uh, the apprentice is supposed to challenge the master in you know some form of straight up combat to the death, which may be a surprise, you know, and and is certainly not designed around having any kind of rules around it. But Palpatine knowing two things, one, that he did not have sort of the natural physical reflexes as well as the command of the force to beat Darth Plagueis in a straight up fight. But secondly, knowing that Darth Plagueis had figured out essence transfer, realized that, and and Darth Plagueis had a whole set of clones of himself ready on deck uh, to receive his essence. So, um, like that jar full of Snokes we see later on? Like the jar full of Snokes, yes. Apparently there's a jar full of Plaguses laying around somewhere at the time, right? And so what, what Palpatine realized was that even if he were to kill him in a, you know, in a lightsaber or a force duel, um, he, would, he could just essence transfer himself into a new body and then, and then the jig is up because Palpatine is you know, now exposing himself as trying to take over, has exposed that he has an apprentice and that there's no way that Plagueis would let him live. So instead, 
he manages to drug Plagueis because Plagueis at this point also does not sleep anymore for some reason. He's too strong with the force and he's too afraid of Palpatine or anybody else really figuring him out. So Plagueis manages to, or sorry, uh, Palpatine manages to drug Plagueis with some wine. With some wine. And while he is unconscious, I think he just straight up just stabs him with a sword and uh, and kills him. Actually, has to stab him a few times because mutants have multiple hearts. But he uh, he kills him up good. And even at the time that he does it, is a little bit concerned that he didn't kill him well enough. So he kind of kills him a lot. Yeah, and he had kind of entertained the assassination route a couple of times, but realized that didn't that wasn't going to work. But he does set it up to look like an assassination because Damask Holdings, you know, he, he kind of put some additional concern and shadiness around Damask Holdings. So he, he makes it look like there is clearly plenty of other people who would have loved to kill uh, Damask and call it a day. So he, he takes blame away from himself. He's got a young strapping uh, Darth Maul as his apprentice. He has, um, ironically, the family that he put into power uh, through political trickery on Naboo is now basically doing his bidding as um, Princess Amidala. And, you know, she didn't get killed, but he still got what he wanted. So he considers her still useful in some regard. And uh, he's a uh, Supreme Chancellor. Yeah. And and the really interesting thing is that his plan goes extremely well, except for a few things. And I think you hit on a couple of them. But just to just to think through, um, you know, his plan ultimately was to become Supreme Chancellor and secondarily to get a little bit of revenge on Naboo for his, you know, parents and his shameful upbringing. And, you know, and that was why the, you know, sort of his first target was Naboo, in part because of the sympathy vote he could get in the Senate, but in large part is like sort of a personal revenge against Naboo, right? So he fails to take over Naboo or let the Trade Federation take over Naboo. He loses his apprentice, Darth Maul, in the process. He also um, Anakin Skywalker, who is a potential threat to him, is revealed. And while ultimately, like his primary goal is achieved, a lot of his secondary goals fail, and he turns all of those and spins them into future successes. Right, which is probably the second most Palpatine thing that you can do. Right in in this whole thing, the first being, you know, using subterfuge to kill your to kill your master. But then, you know, he recognizes immediately that Anakin, while a threat, could also be a valuable tool and starts to set up the future where Anakin, you know, becomes his apprentice. Um, the death of Maul is a setback for him, but he immediately goes to his plan B of Dooku and starts to to bring him into the fold. And, you know, the loss of Naboo, he turns that into, you know, just sort of a political win for him and an increase in Amidala's power, which he, you know, ultimately uses to create more discord in the Senate, um, even though she ultimately opposes his Sith plans. Um, he uses that political opposition later to create more and more sort of fervor in the Senate for his positions. So, um, you know, his plan is well thought out. It's well executed. Not a lot of it goes right, but he ultimately turns all that around and uses it for a big old win later on. And, and this is the one thing that I'm going to agree with Palpatine in general on. And, and I think it's a good lesson for all of us. It's actually oddly positive. but. He takes every challenge and makes it an opportunity. And truthfully, I think that that is 
what we should all be doing. We shouldn't be evil. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like yeah, definitely. Evil opportunities. Yeah, no, no, no. But if you take every challenge and make it an opportunity to do good, not evil, um, that that's how we should approach every obstacle that comes our way. Um, and he obviously has a completely different agenda than you and I do. Sure. But, um, but yeah, he, he really does look at everything as a way to to learn, do better, and um, become more powerful and influential. Yep, that is absolutely true. And not a, not a bad way of looking at things. Um, and so I think this is probably where we leave his story for now with, um, you know, we now have this guy, Sheev Palpatine. He is the leader of the Senate. He is the Supreme Chancellor of the Republic. He has defeated his master. He is the you know, unchallenged Dark Lord of the Sith. And he's ready to execute sort of the next stage of his plan. He's starting to build up some people around him. This is where around the time that he first meets um, Will of Tarkin, who becomes one of his his lieutenants. He's obviously got an eye on Anakin and um, and he's got uh, some some more junk to come. Um, what do you think about, you know, we always try to, to loop back on something about relationships or the way that relationships are formed. Um, this sort of Sith relationship or any relationships that, uh, that Palpatine had with various other, other characters, is there any valuable nuggets in there? Well, I guess the, it's more of a takeaway is that beware of very slick politicians, be, which and beware of people that are just a little bit too slick. And that's how Palpatine kind of comes across, is that everybody likes him. Um, and and so I, I think that I've met people that have just been like, wait, you're you're moving too quickly. Why why are you ingrained in this situation so quickly? Why why are these people divulging information to you right after meeting you? And, and Palpatine always manages to insert him in insert himself into those positions to be the the person who is trusted with this information and he winds up having the most information. So I think from a relationship standpoint is for us as the viewer, the reader, the listener of this podcast is to evaluate our relationships and, and make sure that the it's an equal transfer of knowledge and emotional exchange between uh, the people involved in the relationship because it was always unequal involving Palpatine. Yeah, I think I I think I agree with that. And I think in a in a similar in a similar way, the rule of 2 to me is a is a naturally dysfunctional relationship, right? Is the idea of of being in a close personal relationship with someone that you're always in competition with and that is always trying to undermine you in both directions. The master is always trying to undermine the apprentice, the apprentice is always trying to undermine the master. And while that can in some ways be motivating is a really tough way to live. Um, and that in personal relationships and business relationships and all kinds of relationships, I feel like that, you know, a, there, there is, there's the such thing as a healthy competition, but a continuous sort of undermining and attempt to destroy the other person is just really no way to, uh, to achieve success, success. It will at best have some sort of temporary detente where things go well, but ultimately will lead to disaster. Right. And if you notice, we didn't speak about really any uh, romantic relationships. Uh, I believe that uh, Palpatine had some intimate encounters along the way, but don't believe that he had a long term uh, girlfriend that he brought to, you know, Senate 
banquets or anything like that. No, he showed up by himself to see what woman was in the corner at the end of the night waiting to, uh, you know. Um, and, and so I, I think that's kind of what we learn about his approach to attachment and relationship, which is very interesting because it does mirror the Jedi. Yes. And, and I mean, in one of his more famous speeches, he basically, you know, and this is probably something for our next episode, but he talks about how the Jedi and the Sith aren't all that different. And certainly the way that he goes about it and the way that the most extreme Jedi go about things are less different than they might seem. Completely agree. So, uh, big takeaway for you about Palpatine? Um, he's super good at what he does. And, you know, his early life and, and, it, and it started from a young age. He was always, he was, you know, he is a person with a singular focus and that is on, a, on increasing his own power. And he, by staying focused on that above all things, he's very successful at it. Yeah, he's the Sithiest Sith of them all. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, I probably want to get into that because I'd love to do a, you know, who's the more Sith, Palpatine or Bane. But let's do that showdown sometime after we finish his story. That, that sounds like a plan. All right. I love you. I know. <laughs>